that 80% of younger nurses are requesting more flexible scheduling, but only 11% of health system executives are actually offering flexible scheduling. And then, of course, the 95% of health system executives highlighted the generational differences in the nursing workforce. So honestly, each of those areas are big areas to explore next. <laughs> and happy to chat, chat through each of these a little bit more. What do we need to know about the overall state of the nursing profession in 2023? Let's talk all about it with Dr. Iman Abu Zayed, the co-founder and CEO of Incredible Health, a cutting-edge career marketplace for nurses and the facilities who employ them, right here on episode 438 of The Nurse Keith Show. Hey there, this is Nurse Keith. This podcast is, of course, about you. It's always about you and your personal and professional development, your nursing career, and the healthcare system in the big picture. And I'm here to share education, ideas, diatribes, and informative interviews with some of the most inspiring people from the worlds of healthcare, nursing, tech, entrepreneurship, medicine, and beyond. I love having you along for the ride, and I thank you from the bottom of my nurse podcaster's heart for being part of the growing Nurse Keith Nation. And if you want to earn CEUs for listening to podcasts, go over to rnegade.pro, R-N-E-G-A-D-E.pro, select me or any of the other content creators on the dropdown and earn CEUs while you listen. And if you want to support the Nurse Keith Show, leave a rating and review over on Apple, Google, Amazon, or Spotify, or just share from any app where you happen to be listening. You'll find the show notes on your app, or you'll find them at nursekeith.com in the podcast drop-down menu. And if you want to become a patron, head over to patreon.com forward slash nursekeith. Even $2 a month can really help support the show and keep us moving along. That's P-A-T reon.com forward slash nurse Keith. As I said at the top of the show, we're here with my friend, Dr. Iman Abu Zayed, the co-founder and CEO of Incredible Health. And Iman, this is like your fourth or fifth time on the Nurse Keith show. So you're like a you're like a star on the show. And it's so good to have you back. And um we are talking about your fourth annual report on the state of US nursing. So what do you think about the state of U.S. nursing right now? Yeah, thank you so much for having me on the show again. Of course, my pleasure. So yeah, we, we, do, we publish annual reports every year. And so yeah, our, we had a recent one for the state of nursing uh, where we were looking at uh, nursing data and also surveying nurses. And so we work with over one in four nurses in the U.S. uses incredible health. So over 800,000 nurses. Uh, and then we also do a annual healthcare executive report. And so sometimes it's actually pretty interesting to compare the two, <laughs> the two audiences and, you know, their perspectives. And sometimes they're aligned and sometimes they're not. Mm-hmm. Um, on the nursing one, I think we, we, you know, learned, learned a few things. So first is that, uh, that the nurses are saying the state of the nursing shortage is, projected to get worse in their opinion too. Now we know that from the data, but even nurses themselves feel that. 93% of the respondents said that they think it's going to get worse. Um, Their 55% are just very, are dissatisfied with this, with the staffing levels in their own facilities. And uh, burnout is still the number one reason for why they're considering leaving their profession before retirement. Hmm. So those, those, you know, statistics haven't really changed too much year over year. I think there's a little bit more uh, 
hesitation around travel nursing in the 2023 report where there's 60% don't believe that travel nursing is going to solve um, staffing issues. Uh, and then there's just a smaller percentage that are considering leaving the profession permanently compared to the 2022 study and the 2021 study. So that's a, you know, that's a change in a positive direction too. Well, that's good. I mean, yeah, I mean, from year to year, we watch the data and I know the changes can be incremental, but it's really important to watch. And I think Incredible Health's data is important because you have such a nice representative cohort of, you know, 700,000 nurses is a pretty good number. And what I find interesting is that, you know, that 80% of nurses plan to stay in the field until retirement, which is up from 55% last year. So that's a huge jump. So that's not incremental. That's like exponential. And I'm curious, like, all right, so in 2022, we were closer to the kind of the, the main uh, body of the of the pandemic, right? So we didn't have as much mileage between us and the main the main portion of the pandemic when things were really at their worst. So it was closer in the rearview mirror. And I'm just wondering if that shift that major shift is that people are feeling kind of the lightning of their existential angst. Do you think that that's a huge part of this particular piece of data? Y yes, that's by far the number one driver behind that improvement mm -hmm. uh, in, in the number of nurses who want to leave the profession permanently. It's definitely gotten better. Mm -hmm. And that's the main, uh, that's the main factor. I will say that, you know, some of the smaller factors is, you know, salaries have continued to increase and wages have continued to increase for nurses, uh, including permanent nurses. I'm not, I'm not referring to the travel nurses. Um, sign on bonuses have increased in size. And we can see that from our own marketplace data too. Mm -hmm. uh, there's been a 14% increase in the average sign on bonus amount for, for permanent nurses across the country. Uh, and uh, just, the average bonus now is at around 11,700 as far as sign-on bonuses go, which is a increase from last year. And, you know, certain states like South Carolina, I mean, there's some, their, their average payout on sign-on bonuses, you know, over 17,000, according to our marketplace data. So um, there's been definitely some, been some improvements there. And honestly, just more, more and more hospital executives, whether they're CNOs or CHROs, or even the CEOs and COOs, are do, making more strides on improving flexible scheduling and improve, implementing career advancement programs, improving salaries and you know co compensation and other benefits. So th there's certainly um, more progress and more attention on the nursing workforce from the executives over the last year as well. Yeah. So let's let's um, unpack that a little bit. Let's go back to money. Let's talk about money. So according to your report, which I'm looking at right now, about 48% of offers made through the Incredible Health platform included a sign-on bonus, which is up 14% from last year. So those sign-on bonuses, is that clearly to you just they're trying to attract nurses in and they're trying to keep them there? Because sign-on bonuses generally require a nurse to stick around for a certain amount of time to earn that bonus, right? Correct. Yeah. It's a tactic to attract more nurses and to 
and to retain them more. It's it's a sign of competition for the talent too. You know, if your competitor down the street is offering sign-on bonuses, sometimes you have to as well. And then I, I will say that, you know, we've seen the actually actual hourly wages increase too. But the, th- the thing about, the unique thing about sign-on bonuses is that approving them is a lot easier than moving the wage overall um, because they're usually one-off, right? And, uh, and so getting the approvals for them internally is just easier, right? Uh, so as a tactic, they, they have been easier to implement. So they're easier to implement because it's a one-time payout and the payout is coming. Is it usually like 12 or 24 months after signing? Some, sometimes it varies by health system. Sometimes it's immediate. Uh, sometimes it's broken up based on milestones, uh, in terms of timeline or tenure. Mm-hmm. And do most sign-on bonuses, are you aware, even if it's immediate bonus, don't you have to stay a certain amount of time or you have to kind of pay it back? Correct. Yeah. 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 Which is kind of a drag. So you really have to be very, very aware and vigilant about when you're accepting a bonus. And especially if you accept the money up front, you have to be aware of what you're signing your name to right? I mean, that's an important piece of information for a nurse to like be extremely cognizant of. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So it's South Carolina, they're looking at the highest average payout of 17,763. And I'm not surprised California is reporting the highest overall salaries in the in the country, though only 40% of offers out of California had a sign-on bonus. So in terms of California, they're basically always out ahead in terms of the highest paying states, aren't they? They are. Uh, and that it's that's not unique to nursing. That's that's I, I think across professions. Uh just the cost of living is dramatically higher uh than many other states. And then I, I don't think it's a coincidence that California is filled with nursing unions too, which I think helps helps the salary and wage wages too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm looking at your color-coded map in terms of uh, where the states lie in terms of you know the highest salaries. And of course, we have California, Oregon, and Washington, so the West Coast. And then you know Texas is there. We're actually right around New Mexico, both around seventy-five to seventy-six thousand, whereas California is at one hundred and twenty. And then you jump out to the East Coast; Massachusetts is at ninety-six thousand, and New York is at eighty-nine thousand. So it's sort of concentrated on the coasts, which is where um, cost of living tends to be concentrated as well in terms of higher cost of living. You know, Hawaii, I would assume should have even higher salaries because it's an incredibly expensive place to live. I think the I think the cost of living index is like 60% above the national average, but they only fall at 104,800 for um salary whereas California is at 120. So California just sort of outstrips everyone kind of every time, don't they? They do. The, the, the other factor that we're, you know, we're not necessarily seeing in the map is just the amount of competition for the talent. Mm. Uh, so when, when it comes to the urban areas of the United States, and especially on the coast, I mean, the, com- the competition for the nursing talent is intense, severe, like across the country, but is particularly uh, intense in, in many of the urban areas in the US. Yeah. And when, when my clients, my career coaching clients talk to me about 
you know, where to live when they're looking at moving and they're trying to figure out where to take their family and where they can kind of get the biggest bang for their buck when it comes to cost of living and wages. You know, the middle of the country, Oklahoma, Arkansas, Kansas, Nebraska, South Dakota, I mean, you look at those places, also Mississippi, um, Alabama, Tennessee, you're having fairly low salaries, you know, in the 60,000s, maybe 70, but cost of living index is quite low. Um, so people really have to make very judicious choices around cost of living versus salary these days. And, you know, we're looking at, you know, rent here in Santa Fe, where I live in New Mexico, rents have gone up, I think 46 or 48% over the last four to five years. And I think in probably San Francisco, they've gone up astronomically more and probably New York as well. And you're now based in Austin, aren't you? That's right. Yeah. I'm based yeah. in Austin. And yeah. cost of living there is probably going up as well, though a lot of people want to move there. Yeah. The cost of living here has also has also gone up quite a bit. Yeah. 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 So when it comes to the data from your from your report, what else really stands out to you? Like what what feels what was there anything that surprised you or pleased you? Yeah, I, I think what's what's particularly interesting was the um set of topics that are and insights that came out of the the healthcare executive or hospital executive report. Tell me about that. So that one, you know, the, the health system, we, we had surveyed 100 health system executives. These were all C-suite. They were, you know, across the country, big health systems, smaller health systems. Um, and uh, this was done in June. So pretty June of 2023. So relatively recent. Mm -hmm. And um, they, that group also describes, you know, the nursing shortage as critical. 94% of them describe the nursing shortage at their facilities as critical. Hmm. Um and they also highlighted that 53% of the nurses on their floors has an average tenure of less than five years. The, the other uh, thing is that they, they highlighted um, that 80% of younger nurses are requesting more flexible scheduling, but only 11% of health system executives are actually offering flexible scheduling. So these are all, and then of course, 95% of health system executives highlighted the generational differences in the nursing workforce. So honestly, each of those areas are big areas to explore next <laughs> and mm -hmm. happy to chat, chat through each of these a little bit more. But yeah, like maybe we can start with the one about uh, the average tenure keeps dropping. Yeah. What does that tell you? I mean, is that basically people are voting with their feet? Is it because of the economy? You know, what is causing people to stay at their jobs briefer periods of time? Yeah. So certainly when it comes to the Gen Z and millennial generation, mm -hmm. uh, they are switching jobs more often. And this is not unique to nursing. It's every profession, every industry this is happening. Okay. And and so they're not staying as as long. Now, I will say that the other thing that's happening is because the nursing shortage is, you know, what they describe as critical, the competition for the talent for the for the nurses continues to increase. And um as a result, some, one of the sort of solutions that many health system executives have had to do is just increase their number of new graduate nurses that they're hiring and nurses that are earlier in their career. And so now the nursing workforce at a, at a specific health system is skewing younger, right? Mm -hmm. And as you know, historically, the average age of a nurse in the U.S. is 52 years old. We have this 
uh, we have five generations in the nursing workforce, all the way from Gen Z, all the way to the baby boomers. We have a whole, a, a 25% of nurses are expected to retire in the next five years. So we have a, quite a cohort of, of older nurses too. And so one of the sort of tactics that's been implemented is like, okay, let's just increase our new graduate ranking, our, um, new graduate cohorts mm-hmm. and bring more and more of them in. So as a result, the, 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 the number of younger nurses at the health systems is increasing. Right. And as the number of younger nurses increases, the likelihood of them, you know, staying a year, maybe two years, getting their their one year of med surge or whatever it is that they feel they need to get. And then they're like skipping town and they're like, okay, I'm bouncing to the next thing. Right. And in terms of those generations, you and I have talked some in previous um, episodes where you've been on the show about generational differences. So we have more and more of these younger nurses coming in, and then we have generational differences that everyone is recognizing as being the new normal for younger people in the workforce. Do you think that there is a recognition that their demands, if we want to call them demands, are reasonable? And are the employers willing to kind of pony up in order to keep them, well, to attract them and then keep them? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I think there's very clear recognition from the health system executives. So 95% of the health system executives in our study notice generational differences in their nursing workforce. Mm -hmm. Specifically, um, you know, 78% of younger nurses request compensation increases compared to 48% of older nurses, right? Younger nurse, 54% of younger nurses, younger nurses are more likely to to require or request more specialized roles, you know, compared to only 14% of older nurses, right? Um, 74% of younger nurses are insisting on more career advancement opportunities compared to only 8% of older nurses. Hmm. Uh, and, and, and so there's definitely these, these key differences between the generations that's showing up in requests for compensation and desire to specialize faster, desire to advance your career faster. So there's essentially there is an acknowledgement that there is a big difference. And we are seeing more and more health system executives cater towards the younger nurses because they have to, they are at the end of the day, they are the future of nursing, right? Yeah. <laughs> they are now the Gen Z and millennials have now become the biggest percent of uh, n- nurses in the workforce, right? Yeah. How, how interesting. Yeah. And, you know, if we think about, okay, these executives, if we think about what generations are they from, they're probably baby boomers or Gen Xers most likely, yeah. right? Exactly. Maybe they're older millennials, possibly. Um, you know, who are all around like 40 now, you know, 41. Uh, my son just turned 40. So he's one of the older millennials. So it's really fascinating. And it makes me think, you know, let's fast forward 10 years, 12 years, 15 years, when more and more millennials and then even older Gen Zers are assuming more and more positions of leadership. And then the younger nurses are coming through, you know, What's going to happen when this next generation kind of assumes more power, you know, as the baby boomers retire off? And it's going to be very interesting dynamics to watch, don't you think? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, 40% of health system executives are already saying, you know, a quarter of the nurses at, who work at their health system have less than a year experience, right? Hmm. 
And, and so it's, it's sort of, it's already here and they've already had to adapt. Um, I'll, I'll share a few examples of how they've had to adapt. Tell me. Um, historically, I think you met, actually mentioned it earlier, new grads went into med surge, right? And then mm-hmm. from med surge, they go into the specialties. Like those, that, that's happening less and less now. Now, if you're a new graduate nurses and a new graduate nurse and you want to go straight into the OR, straight into learning and development, excuse me, uh, labor and delivery, um, and, or, you know, a, a specific specialty, you can do that right away. And they, they're enabling, the health systems are enabling that programming, right? Yeah. Yeah. Because uh, they want to attract the talent and they're going to be like, well, I don't want to go into med surge. You know, I, this hospital down the street is willing to give me, you know, a position in ICU and a new nurse residency. So, you know, um, you, you have to kind of show me, show me something you're going to do for me. Exactly. Now, one of the consequences of that, that we've observed in our data in the last, you know, 12, in our marketplace in the last 12 months is now there's shortages in med surge, right? So historically, those were historically med surge was easier to hire into if you're a hospital, but now there are shortages in med surge because the new grads are going to the specialized roles. Right. So, so so yeah, the the other thing, the other change we're seeing is that there's more, look, when when you have such a large cohort of newer nurses, you do have to invest more in onboarding and training, right? Uh Uh, Because of course you're, you're trying to maintain quality of care too, right? Yeah. And so there has definitely been more investment in uh, career advancement programming for for new graduates, more more um, rolling out more new graduate programs, residency programs, so on, um, increasing in the number of preceptors and educators, you know, so on, like that that uh, the health systems are investing in as well, because again, you have to cater to this to this cohort. That's right. I mean, and you got to spend money to make money. And if you want the talent and you want people to stay and you want to decrease attrition and you want to have the best people, you want the cream of the crop, then you got to pony up and spend some money and make these things happen. And when we come back from the break, I want to dig more into the report. And I'd also like to talk about what Incredible Health is up to overall in the bigger picture and a little bit about you. So hang in there with us and we'll be right back for the second half of episode 438 of the Nurse Keith Show with Dr. Iman Abuzayed, the co-founder and CEO of Incredible Health. And welcome back to the second half of the episode. We're here again with friend of the pod and my friend and colleague, Dr. Iman Abuzayed. She's the co-founder and the CEO of Incredible Health, which is a cutting edge career marketplace for nurses and the facilities that employ them. And Iman, I'm just curious how you would describe Incredible Health at this point in your evolution as a company, especially for those listeners who for some reason, I've been living under a rock and haven't heard of Incredible Health yet. Yeah, absolutely. So Incredible Health is a software-enabled career marketplace for healthcare workers. Uh, what that means is hospitals and health systems use our software to hire nurses in permanent roles in less than 20 days instead of it taking 80 days or longer. Uh, and our vision is to help healthcare professionals live better lives. And our mission is to help healthcare professionals find and do their best work. Um, the way our product works, our main product works, is that the employers apply to the nurses instead of the other way around. So this is a very nurse-centric platform. We've automated the screening of the ta- of the nurses and the matching of the nurses. So uh, it's a very personalized and automated experience for both sides. And some of the benefits is faster hiring. 
uh, on average, an increase in salaries for the for the nurses. Uh, it also uh, a reduction in commute time of at least fifteen percent. And for the hospitals, we're saving them at least three million dollars per year in travel nurse costs and overtime costs and so on because they can hire permanent nurses uh, faster. Right. So nurses join Incredible Health. They fill out a profile, and then the the facility will actually say, "Hey, we would like to interview you for a job." Exactly. And the nurse right. gets to choose which interviews to accept or decline. Um, we now have one in four nurses in the U.S. using our platform to manage their careers. And so in addition to the hiring marketplace, we also have free continuing education and free salary estimators. And there's a community for nurses where they can ask each other for advice. And we offer lots of freebie, lots of free stuff for the nurses, too. Mm-hmm. And then we also work with over 700 hospitals across the country, including 75 percent of the top ranked um, health systems. We work with very large health systems like Tenet and HCA. We work with uh, academic medical centers like Johns Hopkins and, and uh, you know, Cedars-Sinai and lots, lots of community health uh, systems too. Yeah. And I think when you and I first met, it was quite a few years ago now when you first came on the show, you all were in California and a handful of other states at most, right? That's right. Um, I think we were only in California and maybe starting in Texas at that time when yeah, we first right. met. That's yeah. right. That's right. And we're now how in 27 many, states. I yeah. was just going to say 27 states. So you've really branched out and grown. Yeah. And I love that you offer the free nursing, uh, the CEU courses. I've taken some of your courses. And let's talk about, since your annual report is talking about salaries and you know all this stuff, what happens with the salary estimator on your website? Because I have sent some of my clients over there how can people use it and what would they want to use it for? Yeah, our salary estimator is, is free and available online on our website, incrediblehealth.com. Or when you download our Incredible Health app, which is also free on the Apple Store and the Play Store, you can access it there too. And you can access all our free tools and services for nurses in our apps too. Um, the salary estimator is based, has is updated every six months. It includes... Um, official offer data from the, from the nurses being hired on our marketplace. Plus we combine it with some third-party sources when we, you know, especially in States where we're, we're, we're not live yet. And, and mm-hmm. what it does is just, it, it just helps nurses just have a more informed um, decision. It helps you make more informed decisions and have a clear understanding on, on uh, what you can make, especially in situations when you're relocating or if you're changing specialties, because you, you know, you can filter by specialty and by a location too. And, you know, there's quite a lot of movement in the permanent nurse labor market. You know, one third of the hires on our platform are nurses relocating from a different state. And I'm talking about permanent roles, not travel, right? Mm. And so, and especially the, the, these younger generations, Gen Z, millennial, like they, they move for their jobs uh, quite often. And yeah. so um, it, it can be tough, right, to understand what's, uh, first of all, what's available in those other, other, other uh, states when you don't have a network at all. What's what? What should I be paid? And you know it, all of this information. And so the great thing about the Incredible Health um, experience is like, sure, you can use our salary estimator to get that knowledge, but also you don't have to rely on your a network, your network or referrals and so on to get your job. Like the idea is to democratize opportunities, you know, for nationally, right? And so if you mm-hmm. are a nurse in Santa Fe, New Mexico, who has this dream of moving to I don't know, Austin, Texas, right? Uh-huh. You just have to sign up and sit back and relax and everything's taken care of for you. And, yeah. and you're going to get those, you know, 
those uh, hospitals in Austin applying to you directly and you get to choose which to, to which interviews to accept and decline. Mm-hmm. That's great. And I see that part of your study showed that one in four nurses and 75% of top-ranked hospitals trust Incredible Health for their hiring needs and career planning. So you all have done a really good job in your, you know, your brand recognition, name recognition, and your reputation have developed a pace, you know, through the years that you and I've been in contact since you all first launched. And tell me a little bit about you. So you're a medical doctor and did you, you worked as a physician for some time, but then moved more in this direction of entrepreneurship? Yeah, I've been, I've been in technology for the last 10 years of my career. Um, Mm -hmm. and at this point, I guess I spent the majority of my career in, in tech or in software. Uh, you know, I, I am an MD by background. I'm just, you know, a big fan of, you know, connecting the dots, you know, have different experiences and, uh, figure out how to put that all together to drive value. And Mm -hmm. in, in my case, I'm just extremely motivated by incredible health's vision and mission of helping healthcare professionals live better lives and helping them find and do their best work. Cause on a personal note, I think the healthcare workers are some of the most overworked and underappreciated workers in this country. And if we can if we can find a way to give them a delightful experience where they have more control and more insight and more opportunities and so on, uh, then then that's great. Um, and yeah. I, I'm proud. I, I love that what we built. So, you know, we have over now have over two, have over two thousand five star reviews across Google, Facebook, the App Store, so on. Mm-hmm. Um, and nurses describe this as the best job search experience of their career. Yeah, that's great. That's why I recommend it so much. Now, getting back to your report. You know, now that we've kind of covered the basics of Incredible Health and, you know, what you're all about and your history, uh, it's very interesting that your report shows that mental wellness is no longer in decline among nurses. And even though it was just a one point increase from 25 to 26 percent between 2021 and 2023 in terms of nurses reporting good mental health, that shows us that things have turned, turned a corner. So are you hopeful that we're going to see those numbers continue to tick up in the next couple of years? Yeah, things have certainly stabilized. I will say that they're still not great. I don't think either, neither you nor me would be happy with only 26% of nurses reporting good mental health. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, the the big factor there was the pandemic, right? Yeah. So uh, once that subsided, that, you know, that that's why we're seeing a little bit of improvement now. Um, and, and I'm, I'm very hopeful for the future. I mean, on, on all these topics, whether it's, um, investing in the nursing workforce from a career advancement standpoint, or offering more flexible schedules or making the new graduate experience better, or, um, of course, you know, compensation and so on. It it, it is the amount of attention that the nursing workforce has today is, has increased dramatically from pre-pandemic, right? And the media attention, the hospital executive attention, so on, has just increased for a variety of reasons. Now, of course, one of those key reasons is the hospital's bottom line and P&L, right? Mm-hmm. Their financials. Hospital executives are running low margin businesses. And when they are dealing with dramatic increases in labor costs, not just from travel nurses, but also the wages of the permanent workers continues to increase. And the retent, you know, the, the the turnover is not fully stabilized yet. The average turnover in the U.S. right now is still over twenty percent. Um, mm. 
given all of these factors, I mean, it's imperative from them from a business standpoint and financial standpoint to put more focus and effort on the nursing workforce. Um, the other great thing that gives me hope is that many of these solutions that they're, they're implementing and that we're discussing, things like career tr- having formalizing career paths and tracks for nurses, or um, not just not only having full-time roles, but offering more part-time roles and not just 12-hour shifts, but also eight-hour shifts and four-hour shifts and weekend shifts, like offering more flexibility, essentially, and offering more self-scheduling. Some of these changes are budget neutral. Right? When you offer them and you invest in them and you put them in place, sure, there's an initial expense or cost around implementation, but you, it usually pays off in, in the form of retention and being mm-hmm. able to hire more efficiently. And that is dramatic cost savings for the health system. Yeah. And you know when we look at the, that whole mental wellness and mental health perspective, you know, if salaries are going up, that's great. I think that's helpful for nurses in uncertain economic times. And these are uncertain times for sure, right? Um, and then if we look at the fact that if nurses feel more recognized, if they feel that there's more attention being paid to them, and that you know nurses' work is seen as more valuable and they're just more visible, and the value that they put forward throughout the pandemic in those really, really difficult, you know, months and several years, if there's there's some sort of like uh, payback for nurses from society in terms of, yeah, you all really busted your butts and we recognize your sacrifices. And, you know, this is how society in general wants to repay the debt, right? However, I do hear from a certain number of nurses. I just, you know, I'm always, I always have my ear to the rails, right? Yeah. And I, I do hear this certain level of, yeah, there was a lot of attention paid to us by the media and by the public and people banging pots and pans, you know, at, at change of shift and everything throughout the pandemic. And now it's sort of like we're back to business as usual. Staffing's not good anymore. You know, we're just, we're cannon fodder once again right? Just being thrown at the problem of healthcare. So there's there's some of that going on, but my hope is that this data that you all have extracted from what you've been, you know, collating over this last year, I hope that points to, you know, positive trends that will continue in the next couple of years. Because I want, you know, you and I both want nurses to feel recognized and valued and feel like that what they do is worthwhile and meaningful. And we want them to be able to support their families. And we want them to feel good about the work they do. And, you know, I'm I'm curious in terms of your your view of do you hear anything or is there anything you can tease out of the report about nurses feeling like there's also some kind of business as usual stuff still happening in the healthcare space? Yeah. I mean, certainly when, when you ask what nurses the question, and, and we do ask it in the report, you know, uh-huh. uh, what are your thoughts on progress so far? Or yeah. um, do, do you think we're moving fast? Do you think the improvements are happening fast enough and so on? There's still, there, there is still quite a lot of dissatisfaction out there. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I think it's a little bit of a double-edged sword, right? So when there is a labor shortage, Inevitably, what's going to happen in any industry, right, is wages will go up, right? Yeah. Um, however, it's a shortage. <laughs> so that means you're going to be dealing with 
you know, units that aren't as staffed as well staffed as they should be. You're going to have to work. You're going to be asked to work overtime and so on, mm-hmm. right? So th- there's th- there's benefits that are happening, but there's also just this underlying demographic situation that we're all in, where we just simply don't have enough healthcare workers in this country. Yet we have increasing patient demand because our population is aging, right? Mm-hmm. So. Is this and that that demographic trend, by the way, of you know, in the, the American population aging and putting more and more demand on the healthcare system, that is, you know, much more powerful than the pandemic. You know, so um, yes. so we're we're gonna we're this it's gonna be turbulent over the next few years, um, mm-hmm. but it's it's good that we have more those that can actually make the changes. The hospital executives are paying more attention. Um, And then we as a society do need to figure out how to increase the number of nurses in the U.S. overall, uh, Mm because there's just simply not enough. Yeah. And this is something that I don't think your your report really digs into because you're looking more at the state of the marketplace. But, Mm -hmm. you know, if we look at nursing education, the capacity to educate and churn out enough nurses is an issue. And when we talk about compensation and we talk about um, retention of staff, we can look at nursing schools in terms of what they're able to pay or willing to pay their faculty and clinical staff, et cetera, and support staff and their ability to accept enough students to go through their programs. So, you know, that end of the funnel, I know that's not really incredible health's jam, but that end of the funnel is definitely an issue. And sure. I it hope there's is. I hope there's people out there who are working on that because we need to resolve that one as well because a lot of really qualified candidates are turned away over here. Correct. Yeah. So the, a huge bottleneck that to, to solving the shortage is the nurse capacity in nursing schools and mm-hmm. um, and there's just simply not enough faculty. And you're right. There's there's so much interest from Americans to go into nursing. Right. Yeah. The wait lists are tens of thousands long. Right. Yeah. Every year. And it was some of the interesting ideas that I've seen just, you know, we're working with CNOs and CHROs and so on all the time is um, just more partnerships between health, between uh, health systems and their local nursing schools. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I mean by that is, you know, the, the offering their, the, the health system offering their nurse managers and their nurse educators to the nursing school, right. To essentially be a proxy in terms of faculty. Right. Yeah. And um, and to kind of alleviate that that bottleneck. Now, obviously, in exchange, there's a whole they have to agree. The nursing school has to agree to pipeline of sending their new graduates to the health system oh, as sure. well, right? For sure. Um, so, so it's you know it's a two way it's a two way street, of course. But um, I, I think that more and more like you know interesting setups and and partnerships like that will uh, hopefully make, make more progress too. Yeah, and that I mean. In my mind, that harkens back to the days of when nursing schools were actually housed in hospitals and yes. hospitals trained their nurses and, you know, graduated them and then employed them. And that all kind of went by the wayside from my reading. You know, once the community colleges started coming up, that system was developed and we moved, you know, nursing education into colleges and then universities rather than the hospitals. And that's a whole nother conversation, but there's so many dynamics at play here. And I think, you know, Incredible Health has their finger on the pulse of what's happening based on the number of nurses who are using your platform. And I think 
you know, you being able to extrapolate that data on a regular basis, and I'm sure you you all crunch a ton of data all the time, but we all get the benefit of that data, you know, every year or so when you put these reports out. And I think it's important to take that that, you know, longitudinal view in terms of nursing. And there's something else that you all covered that I thought was interesting. Oh yeah. One was that 54% of those surveyed would continue to recommend a career in nursing. You know, that's kind of low to me, but I'm not surprised based on what's been going on over the last few years. Um, my hope would be that number would continue to go up if we see these, you know, salaries go up and all these other issues get addressed, don't you think? Yeah, I, I would I would hope so. I mean, I, I think relative when you compare nursing as a career, uh, you know, it's a, it's a it's a profession. You know, it has mm-hmm. societies, it has associations, it has research, you know, so on, right? Mm-hmm. And when you compare nursing as a career, and and honestly, the salaries and and compensation and and perks and so on that they get uh, relative to the amount of education, it's it's one of the best deals out there. It is a it is a fantastic career. Um, it has propelled individuals and families into a completely different social class right it has uh it has it, it represents you know a, a phenomenal opportunity for for many americans it really does yeah it really does now one of the last data points that i noticed here in the report was that 60% of nurses believe it's important to use social media as a nurse in today's healthcare industry with 77% of respondents say it's a source of community and support. Now, I've been on my soapbox about nurses using social media for years. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, back from like, gosh, 2008, 2009, I was talking about how social media is necessary. And I still meet nurses who are like, I don't do social media, you know, and I'm, and I'm always like, well, it, at least do LinkedIn, you know? Um, but I find that interesting. And were you surprised by either of those numbers in terms of nurses and social media? Um, not at all. I mean, the, this no? huge, huge percentages of nurses are engaged in social media, which is, which I think is a good thing. I mean, mm-hmm. e- even for us at Incredible Health, we have very big presence on Instagram and TikTok. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, this part of this is generational too, right? So. Yes. Um, the Gen Z and millennial generations across all professions are just more active on social media, but to, 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 to use social media in a way to get more informed about your profession and what's happening in your profession and so on is, is definitely something that is, that is actually unique to nursing. Mm-hmm. And there are so many, I mean, sure we have our, our, our own community built into our apps, um, like, you know, where you can get advice from each other, but there's still a huge amount of activity on our Instagram and TikToks too. And then in general, right? Like there's nurse influencers and so on. Right. Mm So it is, it is just like an amazing source of content. Now it has all the problems social media has, right? Like (laughs) to figure out what's real and what's not real. Mm -hmm. Um, You gotta, you have to really like filter and curate and and use your, your own judgment, sense of judgment too. Um, and uh, obviously, not everything can be shared on social media from a work standpoint. Mm-hmm. So, so there's definitely some limitation. There's some limits, but uh, I think it is it is a really important source of information. Yeah, I think it is. Yeah, I think I'm I'm glad to hear that so many nurses are engaged, and you know, the younger cohorts are probably much more engaged than others. 
but I think that's that's good. And I encourage it, especially LinkedIn and the ways in which nurses can support one another on any platform, you know, and there are a lot of communities out there. Yeah. There's a lot of humor, a lot of nurse humor on the yeah. social media too. So that keep, keeps things a little light, which is nice. Nurse humor is good. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> yeah. Um, I recently had um, Nurse Blake on the show for the oh, first great. time. Oh, yeah. great. Yeah. And, you know, he's, he's a touring comedian and he's like the you know, he is sort of the voice of nurse humor out there, but yep. he's also very inspirational at the same time. So he's, mm-hmm. he's a very interesting mix of education, entertainment, you know, yep. and inspiration, which I think he's, he's a phenomenon in and of itself. Yeah, absolutely. But Aman, the last time you were on the show was like, I don't know, a year ago or so. And I don't know if I was doing this at the time, but I have four questions I ask all of my guests at the end of the show. Did we do this last year? Remember, but let's do it. <laughs> let's, let's do it. Hey, if you if you don't remember, that's great. We can just you know pretend you never heard these questions before. So anyway, this may be new to you, and let's just see what comes up for you today, even if it's not. So the first question I like to ask all my guests is how do you define success either personally or professionally? Uh, I define success professionally as having an impact uh, on, on a large group of people. Um, mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, the more, yeah, that, that's essentially how I define it. That's probably explains why I'm pursuing <laughs> what I'm pursuing today. Um, personally is just, I, I I define success as having healthy relationships with my friends and family members. Mm, That's nice. I like that. Okay. Second question. Could you name or just describe someone who's inspired you in the course of your life? They can be living or dead, famous, or someone none of us would ever have had the opportunity to hear of before. Uh, I think I'll I'll pick Serena Williams. Oh, tell me. The great yeah. greatest of all time, you know, tennis player. Yeah. Um, I I think there's there's a few there's a few things about Serena that really inspire me. One is just the way she thinks about competition and mm-hmm. and her success. When mm-hmm. you listen to in her interviews on YouTube, you know, she talk the reporter will ask like, oh, "Are you worried about so and so competitor?" And she's like, "No, because I'm just focused on myself and making myself better." <laughs> right. And it's just like it's just such a healthy mindset. Um, and which is very much applicable to business as well, uh, and many many other fields too. Um, and and just the her the longevity of her career and how the consistency of it and the number of wins and all of that is just absolutely phenomenal and and, and very inspiring. Yeah, that's true. I mean, she's an amazing woman, and I think she's inspired a lot of young women and girls, which I think is really fantastic. Okay. Third question, the penultimate question. Is there a book or a movie? It doesn't have to be an absolute favorite since that's so hard for many of us to to kind of nail, but a book or movie that's impacted either the way you think, the way you live your life, the way you approach your work, anything like that. Yeah, I mean, there's several, uh, but I'll, yeah. I'll pick one now. But, um, okay. The Hard Things About Hard Things by Ben Horowitz. Um, hmm. This is actually a book about entrepreneurship. And it's about, you know, Ben's experience building a, co- a software company over the course of many years, go, you know, taking it public and the enormous ups and downs and intense battles <laughs> that he had to go through mm. personally, professionally, so on to get to make it right. And mm. it, it, that that book really did influence me because it, it almost is a reality check on the journey that I, I happen to be on. Um, 
in that, yeah, it's not sure, we, you know, we talk about the success and the progress and how many health systems we're working with and how many nurses we're working with. And, you know, the team is over 200 people now and, and, and so wow. on. And the valuation is at 1.65 billion. All of that sounds great, you know, but yeah. man, behind the scenes, there is a lot of, you know, effort, blood, sweat, tears, so on that goes into building, uh, building a company and, and, and especially one that's trying to have a huge impact and trying to transform an industry and, and, and trying to make life better for, for a massive group of users. Right. So, um, his book was very much a reality check. I read it before I started this journey. So I had some, you know, I had a better sense of what I was getting into. Mm -hmm. And that's the hard thing about the hard things. The hard thing about hard things. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Okay. All right. Last question. If you were named queen of the world tomorrow, which I personally think would be a good thing, what's <laughs> one of the first things you would want to do to improve the lives of your subjects? What would your first action be as queen of the world? Uh, as queen of the world, I would um, immediately have some level of education that is free mm -hmm. and some level of healthcare that is free. Um, awesome. Because I think those two things, uh, when done, those two things can transform individuals, families, countries. So yeah. true. Right. And if you were queen of the world, you'd have ultimate power. So you could be like, okay, everybody gets free healthcare in university. Kind of like Oprah, you know, everybody gets a car. <laughs> exactly. You know? Yeah. Exactly. So you'd be like, yeah, you could just go for it. So Iman, this is great. This is you know, your fourth or fifth time I've lost track at this point being on the show. And I love having these check-ins with you and I'm sure there's more to come. And, you know, I'm always recommending Incredible Health. I have it linked on my website and people can go to incrediblehealth.com. And then on Facebook, you're Incredible Health Jobs. On Instagram, you're Incredible Health. And on Twitter, you're Join Incredible and LinkedIn Incredible Health as well. So thank you so much for being here again. I love having this ongoing conversation with you. And um, I just think you're awesome. Thank you so much for having me, Keith. I always love chatting with you. Well, there you have it. Thanks for listening to this episode once again with Dr. Iman Abuzaid of Incredible Health at IncredibleHealth.com. I hope you feel lifted and empowered from this episode. And if you need personalized, holistic career coaching to elevate your career, look no further than Nurse Keith Coaching. Mention the show and get 10% off your first coaching package. We're proud members of the Health Podcast Network at HealthPodcastNetwork.com and we're adroitly produced by the inimitable Rob Johnston of 520R Podcasting. Before we say goodbye, I'll leave you with this quote by Brene Brown, because true belonging only happens when we present our authentic, imperfect selves to the world. Our sense of belonging can never be greater than our level of self-acceptance. Be well, dig deep, seek joy, keep in touch. This is Nurse Keith saying adios till next time from beautiful Santa Fe, New Mexico, and the amazing Iman Abuzayed saying Arrivederci from Austin, Texas. Austin, Texas. Thank you, Iman. Thanks to everyone for listening. And we will, of course, catch you on the proverbial flip side. Mm -hmm.